Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, very glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Hope you had a wonderful holiday weekend. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today as usual. And Jim, let's start with the good and actual research, digging into the data and research. And we have got some interesting data that will not surprise conservatives, but it might surprise a few on the left from the National Bureau of Economic Research. Now, what they're studying took place a while ago, but the actual research was just released this month. Uh, Apparently, in December of 2008, the Memphis Commercial Appeal newspaper published a searchable online database of names zip codes and ages of Tennessee handgun carry permit holders. Uh, And then in this study, they used detailed crime and handgun carry permit data for the city of Memphis to estimate the impact of publicity about the database on burglaries. They find that burglaries increased, Jim, in zip codes with fewer gun permits and decreased in those with more gun permits after the database was publicized. And this is interesting because gun rights groups were furious about this. They initially thought, that gun owners were going to be targeted uh, because criminals wanted to steal their guns. But that is not what happens. They say, um, under their research, they confirmed that for zip codes with many gun permits, burglaries and thefts decreased relatively to median gun permit zip codes, but burglaries and to a lesser extent robberies increased overall. That is, burglars may have been deterred from burglarizing houses in higher gun permit zip codes, their crimes being displaced to zip codes with fewer guns. Relative to zip codes with the middle number of permits, zip codes with the highest concentration of permits experience roughly 1.9 fewer burglaries per week per zip code in the 15 weeks following the publication of the database. And so, Jim, it's pretty common sense if you think you're going to encounter armed resistance when you commit a crime, you're less likely to commit it. It's why most mass shootings are in gun-free zones. So um, what do we make of this? Greg, first of all, before we go any further, we should point out our good martini is that this study confirms what would very likely be common sense, that, you know, crooks rarely try to rob the donut shop that has a lot of cops in it. Similarly, they rarely try to raid police stations and steal what's in there either. If you have guns, criminals are less likely to want to steal from you. Um, by, By itself, I don't love the idea of the Memphis newspaper printing the names and addresses of handgun carry permit holders. I think it was reasonable to worry about somebody either attempting to steal the guns or just, it just seems like something that is designed to demonize these people, designed to call them out for... Uh, the the horrid constitutionally protected, you know, you can't see me making air quotes, but I'm saying air quotes, crime of owning a handgun as they are permitted to. Having said that, that is kind of an interesting deterrent effect. I don't know whether criminals specifically looked up these numbers. It's kind of tough to see. Most, most uh, burglars doing a great deal of research, but probably if a, if a neighborhood has a reputation for having a lot of folks in it who own guns, the neighborhoods, the, the crooks are going to move on to the next neighborhood over. Like, oh, we don't want to mess with that one. You know, the odds of the homeowner being home or a neighbor seeing you or some other factor and that person being armed and making your attempt to burglarize much more dangerous, you know, most burglars will move right on. There is a reason that most burglars, purse snatchers, etc., do not attempt to grab something from a guy who is 6'4 and full of muscle. 
They generally don't try to go after the guy. But, you, know, you don't see a lot of robberies at, at uh, oh, down at Muscle Beach in Venice Beach. <laughs> you know, you don't see they don't you don't see, also see a lot of guys trying to you know rob gyms and stuff like that, or or uh, martial arts studios or things like that. They look for the easiest victim, and by having a, per, a constitutionally protected firearm, you become a more challenging victim. Now, can things go wrong? Yes, absolutely. No one is saying that owning a firearm is a guarantee that you will never be robbed or a guarantee that bad things will never happen to you. But you have created one more factor that the uh, wrongdoer has to take into account. And if they know that you have this, then they're probably going to move on and try to attack somebody else. So uh, good for this. It's, I think it's a useful uh, indicator as the you know Biden administration, seeming to think they don't have enough problems already, has decided to bring up the issue of gun control several months before the midterm elections. Overall, a 20% relative decrease of burglaries in the zip codes with the highest number of permits, which also tells you, Jim, that the people who have the guns uh, legally and honestly don't commit crime. So that's the other uh, that's the other big fallacy that we hear from the left, that if you just happen to own them, oh, well, things are going to go bad and then uh, things are going to escalate and all sorts of things like that. It's just not the case. Nonetheless, uh, we have more good news. We have a great new sponsor today, Athletic Greens, AG1, as it's called, Athletic Greens. Uh, they give you a lot of the vitamins and minerals and everything else that you need in one easy-to-make drink and smoothie every single day if you want to do it that way. And that way you don't have to worry about figuring which pill you took, which pill you didn't. You gulp it all down. It tastes great. And uh, you're on your way. Right, Jim? Greg, I'm not going to lie. When I first got this, I was like, huh, do I really want to try this? Do I really want to drink this? And I put, you put, it's a green powder, you add water, you can make it hot, you can make it cold. And I look at it, I'm going to lie, it's green. It's a very vibrant green. And you're like, huh, is this going to be good? And my fear was that this was going to taste like a, a, a kale smoothie or something like that. We've all seen these health drinks. So, oh, it's, it's great for you. And then you look at it, it's just horrible. Great. As you know, and our listeners probably will know soon, it's really pleasant. I'd say it's kind of like a matcha green tea mixed with mint or something like that. It was an absolute joy to take, to drink up. Um, obviously, you know, they tell you to take one a day. It's very simple, very quick, very easy. And then you are set on so many of your nutritional needs all at once. It's really an amazing product. And don't let that green color scare you. It tastes great. And it'll quickly turn into one of your daily habits. My wife has a very close friend who needed a green drink as described by her doctor. And so when this stuff showed up, she's like, hey, can we share some? I'm like, sure. She can be part of the testimonial. And so she tried it. She loves it. She takes it every day. And she's uh, more than happy uh, for me to tell that story. So this will also cost you less than $3 a day. So you're investing in your health and it's cheaper uh, than your previous vitamin habit, perhaps. Also, Athletic Greens has more than 7,000 five-star reviews. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com martini. Again, that is athleticgreens.com martini to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, Jim, for our bad martini, let's go back to Russia and Ukraine. Uh, it seemed like there was at least a, a bit of a breather there for a little bit as Russia pulled back. Uh, they're not really uh, holding back anymore. Uh, uh, the hostilities are are firing up. We're hearing word about a, a key Ukrainian counteroffensive that might cut off uh, Russian communications. We'll see if that's successful. Uh, and on and on it goes. But uh, one of the things that has certainly picked up in the last few days is this talk about Putin being 
willing to use tactical nuclear weapons. And you point this out in the morning jolt. Uh, there's the current CIA director last week who was at uh, Georgia Tech University who seemed to think that uh, with Putin's ego on the line, his reputation, the mission itself on the line, he might be willing to use tactical nuclear weapons and we should be prepared for that. And then uh, over the weekend, Vladimir Zelensky himself on, uh, I think it was CNN State of the Union, also saying that he thought Putin was capable and could very well use tactical nukes. So, uh, Jim, uh, the talk is ratcheting up. I don't know if that's based on intel or or what that's based on precisely, but how concerned should we be about it? Uh, you know, not in a panic, but steadily increasing. I, I, there's what really kind of made this catch my eye was that uh, CIA director William Burns was speaking at a university down in Georgia late last week. And former Senator Sam Nunn is still alive, still still kicking. And he asked a question about this particular topic. And I won't give you all of Burns's answer, but the two, par- two sentences that jump out the most are, given the potential desperation of President Putin and the Russian leadership, given the setbacks that they've faced so far militarily, none of us can take lightly the threat posed by a potential resort to tactical nuclear weapons or low-yield nuclear weapons. Now, before that has you digging a bomb shelter in your backyard, we should point out, we don't. while we've seen some rhetorical posturing on the part of the Kremlin about moving to higher nuclear alert levels, so far we haven't seen a lot of practical evidence for the kind of deployments or military dispositions that would reinforce that concern. But then Burns added, we watch for that very intently. It's one of our most important responsibilities at CIA. So again, I think, you know, I wrote about this back in March, uh, about the different ways you can detonate a nuclear bomb, um, the different radioactive effects it can have. And I think the possibility of, you know, Putin just nuking Ukrainian cities is by itself is not terribly likely. I do, or at least for now, I, I do think a possibility is that you could make some sort of demonstration of the nuclear weapon, either in a remote and isolated part of Ukraine or somewhere off the coast of the Black Sea depending how reckless Putin is feeling. And you basically do that, and your your hope is to have the effect of Hiroshima and Nagasaki on the empire of Japan. You do something very intense and very frightening that breaks the spirit of the Ukrainians and makes them say, okay, we're willing to surrender on your terms. And I don't necessarily know if the Ukrainians would react that way, but Putin is, like, as I noted in today's jolt, we're in this catch-22. We want to see the Ukrainians survive. We want to see the Ukrainians repel the Russian invasion. And so far, nearly two months into this, they've been doing a phenomenal job at it at great cost. Um, But the problem is the better things get for us, the more desperate Putin becomes and the more some option like this becomes a little bit more thinkable day by day. Um, Also keep in mind, Putin has something of, I'd say, I'd say it's not a a, a strict deadline, but I'd say it's something of a... um, psychological deadline in the form of May 9th, which is Russia's victory day, celebrating their triumph for World War II. Um, you know, he, every year he stands in Red Square. This is when we traditionally get those parades and military vehicles and stuff like that. And Putin, you tell me on May 9th, Putin is going to stand there and he's not going to have any type of victory to deliver. He thought this thing's going to be over in a couple of days. So the pressure of him doing something that he can say, this is our victory, before May 9th, I think is increasing day by day. I don't know if it'll be a nuclear weapon. I sure as hell hope it isn't a nuclear weapon. But I do think the idea of Russia doing something drastic and dangerous between the next three weeks is something that's very serious. And I think we in the U.S. really need to put out a very clear deterrent. If you do this, we will do X. And X has to be scary enough to make them say, okay, this isn't even worth generating this symbolic victory on the deadline uh, for Putin and for Russia. 
I think that's a good point. There's another thing that's really uh, concerning, Jim, and I think Putin has thought this for a long time, but it's being said more directly now. Uh, Putin himself has at least hinted, if not directly said, that he doesn't really believe there's such a thing as Ukrainian people. Over the weekend on Russian state-controlled television, they were blatantly saying that. Historically speaking, that is extraordinarily dangerous rhetoric. Yeah, and it's worth keeping in mind. You know, the other thing which I know coming out of Russian state-run media you know, at no point have they lessened up, and I think you said they've ratcheted up the genocidal uh, implications of what they're saying. The other thing, which is, you know, on the one hand, is something of it could be good news depending on how you look at it, but also the loss of their flagship in the Black Sea seemed to freak them out. Even state-run media did not seem particularly convinced by the, oh, there was a fire and it spread to the ammunition and it was being towed out and, oh, there was bad weather and, that, you know, all of these explanations of it totally wasn't shot down by the Ukrainians or shot, you know, sunk by the Ukrainians. I think even in state media, you could detect some tones of skepticism. And I think when that happens, it becomes almost impossible. Like it just it's too contrary to all of the victory is imminent, happy talk rhetoric that you get from Russian state media. And so I think that you know heightens the pressure on Putin to do something, right? You, you're, you're the whole traditional method of, ah, we'll just say that we're winning and the pu Russian public will buy it. But as the casualties mount and, you know, uh, Russian sons do not come home to their parents, to their wives, girlfriends, et cetera, people know this doesn't, this, the, the equation isn't adding up. This is the great victory. Why are so many men not coming home? Uh, and also this was supposed to be done really quickly. We're nearly two months in. And not only have we not taken Ukraine, uh, you know, there's only one major city that they've taken. They've reduced a lot to rubble, but that's not really the victory but I think most Russians would, you know, consider to be significant. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, let's uh, get a much needed break from the gravity of that story and move on to the fantastic deals you can get from MyPillow. Uh, still a fantastic deal you can get on the six-piece MyPillow towel set. I do love the towels. Use them again today. The hand towel, uh, the bath towel, of course, uh, the washcloth. Uh, fantastic quality in the construction of this. They're thick. They're fluffy. Uh, they're durable. They, uh, you know, they get, they get you dry super quick, and they, they stay that way wash after wash. And so right now, the deal, the six-piece towel set, regularly $109.99, still on sale for $39.99 a set. The MyPillow six-piece towel set is made from cotton grown right here in the United States. Now, some other towels might feel good, but they don't uh, absorb very well, or, or maybe they absorb well, but they just don't feel good on your skin. They have that lotion-y feel. Well, every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. Every set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable. And yes, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. For a limited time, get the MyPillow six-piece towel set, regularly $109.99 for just $39.99 with our promo code MARTINI. Visit MyPillow.com slash MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for only $39.99 today at MyPillow.com slash MARTINI. Or call 800-874-0104. MyPillow.com slash Martini. All right, Jim, a little bit of symmetry on uh, today's podcast. We started talking about guns, and in a way, we're going to talk about them again here in our crazy Martini. Uh, a number of mass shootings, uh, unfortunately, over the past several days. Two of them in South Carolina. One of them 
was uh, at a mall near the state capital of Colombia. Uh, anywhere from 9 to 14 people were shot here, and uh, it's the, the details are still a little bit uh, confusing. But here's the crazy part. One of the suspects who allegedly opened fire in a South Carolina shopping mall, this is the Daily Mail, as part of a gunfight that left 14 people injured will be allowed to return to work with an ankle monitor while on house arrest after being released on bail. Jawayne Price, 22, was arrested Sunday and charged with unlawfully carrying a pistol in connection with the shooting at Columbia's Columbiana Center Mall. Columbia police said on Twitter that a judge agreed to let Price leave jail on a $25,000 surety bond. He is currently on house arrest with an ankle monitor and may go to work at certain times, although authorities did not say where he is employed. Price's attorney admitted Sunday that his client fired a gun at the mall but said it was in self-defense. Price was only charged because he did not have a permit to carry a weapon. He's one of three suspects arrested in the aftermath of the shooting, but the other two men were released after it was determined they weren't involved, police said. So, uh, Jim, obviously something like this, you want it to be investigated as thoroughly as possible. I'm not sure you want the one person who you know was firing the gun to be just out there and about, even if he does have an ankle monitor, until you know exactly what happened here. This seems a little bit light on the holding aspect of this. Greg, look at the bright side. If he goes around and starts shooting lots of people again, they'll know exactly where he is. <laughs> uh, that's sarcasm for anyone who missed the tone of my voice. Uh, so, look, I recognize we've had two sweeping movements in American culture and its perspective of laws and law enforcement going on at the same time. We've had the push for criminal justice reform and this sense that you're seeing people put in jail for too long and on minor charges, and they were denied the opportunity to learn from their mistakes and bad decisions and go on and, and uh, you know improve their lives, become law-abiding citizens, the push for anti-recidivism programs in prisons and things like that. And at the same time, particularly after 2000, the lockdowns, the uh, George Floyd protests, et cetera, you ended up with this spike in crime. And you had this, you know, lock them up and throw away the key. And also this push from some other corners of the public saying, no, 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 don't lock them up and throw them away the key. We, we, we incarcerate more people than any other country in the world. We're ridiculous. This is terrible. We can't afford it. We need to put people on the right path in life. Uh, don't you know, have them serve their sentences and then help them move on that. And in some cases, we don't even need bail and stuff like that. I think we can safely say the experiments in places like New York City and San Francisco are not working out well for the citizens there at all. But I recognize sometimes it's going to be a tough judgment call. Sometimes prosecutors, sometimes judges, they have to decide, can we trust this person? Does this? Do we want to keep this person locked up until the trial starts? Or are we willing to have, give them bail? Are we willing to release them and let them go about their lives until we're ready to have the trial? I think, Greg, if you're going to make a decision like this, I, I, I think it's wrong. But I don't have all the facts in front of me. I don't see everything the prosecutors do. I don't see everything the judges do. Maybe there's a justification for this. But if you're going to make a decision like this, you've got to lay out your reasoning and your justification in explicit detail for the public. Because otherwise, you look like you're lunatics letting a potential mass shooter just go to work with an ankle bracelet on. They got a low jack on them. Don't worry. We can find them quick. Um, by the way, you know, everybody has a tough time. Or almost everybody has a very tough time when they get back to the office on Monday morning. Greg, how do you think this guy's coworkers feel? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Hey, how was your weekend? Well, it's a long story. <laughs> Well, the only good news here is that nobody died in this. Uh, once again, like the subway shooting, miraculously, uh, everybody is alive and I think is expected to make it. So uh, that is a miracle in and of itself. 
But yeah, it's just the incongruity of the left's argument here that, uh, you know, we got this huge gun violence problem, as they like to say, not a criminal problem, but a gun violence problem. Yet they, they're so reluctant to actually enforce gun laws. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, look, what it is is that we are in a crime problem considering the number of uh, people committing crime who are multiple offenders uh, and who in many cases, not all, but certainly a whole lot of cases have committed previous violent crimes, previous felonies that they pled down or they served only a small portion of their recommended sentence, back out on the street, do something terrible, uh, in many cases even worse than their previous felonies. And, you know, this this constant sense of, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, you know it's, it's a one-off and the one-offs keep adding up more and more. Um, it's just, a, you know, extraordinarily frustrating and it really does have this sense of alienation from the people whose duty is to protect us. Maddening. Absolutely maddening. Uh, you're going to get more crime when you go easy on the criminals. But uh, we'll see if more information does come out on this one. Jim, uh, quite a start to the week. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Thank you very much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Those are always helpful to us. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Monday, and please join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. I'm back from the border and I'll tell you what I saw and why Biden's open border policies are a bigger problem every day. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I will detail the latest evidence of how Biden is spreading this crisis around the country. And I'll discuss the dystopian nightmare we're seeing in Shanghai, where people cannot leave their homes. What is really happening there? Join me. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.